0: The Second Act Podcast is brought to you by Chin Whiskers Beard and Hair Care. Chin Whiskers is an affordable, Canadian-made, 100% natural men's grooming line. It's available at your local Tommy Guns Original Barbershop, Amazon, or at ChinWhiskers.ca. Welcome to the Second Act Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Act Podcast. Today we have a guest that I... Was a f- little bit nervous about reaching out to. I I first heard his story on on the Sean Newman podcast, and I was mesmerized. Quite frankly, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing for about sixty of the ninety minutes or so that he was with Sean. Uh, I I was taken aback by the frankness and the honesty of his of the way he described his his story. There's a gentleman named Brady Leavold, and he he talks about kind of. The whole gamut from being a little kid uh, to realizing he was pretty good at hockey to being really good at hockey to doing a bunch of crazy uh, drug fueled things throughout his, you know, late teens and ultimately finding himself addicted to opioids and uh, and the whole trials and tribulations around that uh, all the way through to the point where he is right now, which is um, he's he's a survivor. He's an advocate and he's out there uh, doing things with um, his his foundation and his voice um, www.pucksupport.com and the the hockey to hell and back um, podcast that's available on YouTube and Facebook and uh, and he's getting the story out there and he's talking about it and and he's putting faces to this problem that that we're all aware of and that we you know don't seem to think affects us necessarily um in directly in our life and and it very obviously does he's he's very candid about the things that he did uh and and the things that left him in the situation he's in um but i don't we don't spend that much time you know he kind of talks a little bit at the beginning uh about 15 minutes kind of giving everyone the context of his story and and we talk about it but i really wanted to focus on on what he's doing to make things better going forward with his his foundation, um, he's he's going to rollerblade across Canada uh, in the summer of 2022, and and we're going to talk uh, a, a lot about kind of what we're going to do to make it better, as opposed to um, you know dwelling on on the things that got him there. I, I believe there's enough information out there that if you want to go look him up, uh, Brady Leavold, you can find out whatever you need to find. And and Sean did a, an excellent job. Of, uh, of outlining it so if you if when you're done this and if you have some questions obvi- obviously go check out the Sean Newman podcast episode 176 with Brady Levold it's a it's a pretty gripping and, and harrowing 90 minute ride through kind of the life of of a kid who uh, withdrew into hockey as his safe spot and then when it wasn't safe anymore um, uh, how that looked and, and what that looks like on the other side now he's he'll be 34 this summer he talks about kind of uh you know the last nine years of his life being um very different than he have, could have ever imagined and, and he's you know 18 to 19 months clean now and, and doing doing the new kind of things that he has to do to, to maintain that sobriety and 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 get the word out it's it's just an amazing story incredible and uh, it's, it's really a lot of fun to kind of sit and listen to a new, renewed uh, spirit in, in Brady's voice as he talks about the things that he wants to do. So, you know, uh, there's a lot we could talk about. There's a lot out there. By all means, go read it up uh, when you're done this. As I said, listen to Sean's podcast. But without any further delay, uh, let's kick it over to Brady Levald.
1: Hey, Gord, thanks for having me. What a pleasure. And uh, before we get started, I, I love what you're doing here and I hope you continue with it um, and you now have one more supporter in me. So thanks for having me.
0: I really appreciate that, Brady. It's it's fun to get on these uh, these trips and, and speak to interesting people like yourself who have these stories um, of you know the ups and the downs and ultimately the perseverance and, and the patience and the wherewithal uh, to do the things that you're doing currently. Um, so... I heard you on the Sean Newman podcast and I I was in, in kind of a travel mode. So I was able to kind of sit through the whole, you know, hour and a half or whatever it was the whole thing at once. Um, But I'm pretty sure that I I would have sat in my driveway and finished it. If I would just been commuting or something like that, the the story was gripping and riveting and probably as, uh, as alarming as some of the parts of your story were, uh, just the awareness that you showed when you talked about it, and and it seems like you kind of um, at periods throughout the background of your story, you were like you were fully aware that this is a crazy thing that you're living, and and you were living it. And then now, obviously, with the benefit of the hindsight and the and the I don't know the perspective of it all, uh, you're just able to put such a unique kind of I don't know if spins the right word, but a unique perspective and unique flavor on it. Um, so I, I was wondering if you'd share with my audience a little bit, kind of the background, who you are, you know, some of the things that happened when you were a kid that kind of led this to you. I mean, a 16 year old junior hockey player, uh, you know, WHL kind of guy at 16. I mean, that's, I can think of 150 kids that I know of personally that that sounds like a pretty good deal too. Um, and then, and then you can share some of that with us. And then all the way through, uh, the craziest part of that story i thought was when you and mitch fadden were were hung over playing on steve stamkos's line looking at each other like can you believe this like stories like that that's so crazy so i'm wondering if you can kind of start at the beginning and and bring us you know to to how you got to where you went
1: awesome yeah Gordon. uh, thanks and I uh, appreciate you listening to uh, Sean's podcast there, and, uh, you know, I love what he's doing as well. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, originally from Port Coquilla in British Columbia. That's the hometown of Terry Fox. And, um, you know, pretty a normal first uh, five years of my life Um at the time, it was a pretty small town, lived with my mom and my dad, and just, be- but just before my fifth birthday, my mom left my dad and uh, left him to be a single dad, and I say that I still saw my mom and stuff on the weekends, but I was with my dad the majority of the time, and Uh, About two months after that happened, I went away for a family trip with my mom and her side of family, huge family reunion where we would go every year in in Northern British Columbia to this fishing lodge and uh, resort. And, you know, there's anywhere from, you know, 70 to 100 people up there, family, distant relatives and all that stuff. And um, my dad obviously wasn't there. And uh, there was a a guy there that felt that he could take advantage of me. And um, unfortunately, I was sexually abused um, that Thanksgiving and then the next Thanksgiving after that as well. And um, you know, so I, uh, there's no question that that left me pretty traumatized and hurt, confused, and, and a million other words, uh, to go along with it, gord. But, uh, I never told anybody, uh, and I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. Obviously, there's uh, a long story there, but with threatening and different things and how people in that situation will manipulate kids, and, um, it's just, uh, it was a terrible experience, but what it did was it led me to, use hockey as an outlet hockey was my first escape it was essentially my first drug and we'll get to that later on but uh, I was able to become pretty good at hockey because I just was obsessed with escaping myself of escaping all the thoughts and stuff that I had and you know, it, uh, it was pretty hard because when you see guys in the dressing room and on the playground and stuff start to get labeled and, um, you know, made fun of and picked on and things I was, you know, I made a pretty uh, conscious decision early on that I wasn't going to tell anybody that that happened to me because I didn't want to be, you know, fear of being judged, fear of, you know, being accepted and having people like me and, uh, just wasn't ready to <laughs> deal with that kind of stuff. So I used hockey as my outlet and, you know, I, as much as I, I got Good at hockey. I think that I never really believed in myself of how good I I maybe was or could have been. And um so many times I started to self-sabotage my own life early on, like very early on. And I think for the people around me, they they kind of thought that it was because my mom left, right? And it just sort of this perfect storm at the same time. And so, you know, now reflecting back and having conversations with adults that were around when I was a kid, you know, I start to ask them, Did you notice changes and things like that? And they of course they did. My my anger and my my lash outs and just my attitude in in general and um, very emotional and you know, they just kind of figured, Oh yeah, little boy needs his mom. And I'm sure that played a big part in it too, but you fast forward and, you know, I think the very first time I really sabotaged my my hockey career or any chance of that was going to the U16 program um, for my, you know, local area, Fraser Valley or, or Lower Mainland, whatever it was back then. And, you know, after the first halfway through the first ice session, um, you know, I pretty much pretended to be sick because I was just... You know, I was literally scared of not being good enough. And some guys were picking on me. There, there was guys that played on a spring team who now I'm friends with and stuff. But back then, you know, it just made me really uncomfortable. And I didn't have anybody from my local association there or anything. Um, and I just felt like, you know, wow, I don't belong here. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not uh, I just really I don't belong here. And so I ended up quitting. And that was the year that, you know, I probably would have got drafted to the Western Hockey League. And I didn't get drafted. Everybody else that was on that team um you know got drafted and the following year i got invited to go to the u17s and i made kind of a decision then that i was like if i'm gonna do it this is my shot and maybe i am good enough to make it and long story short i ended up making the team i ended up making top 40 of the province and uh was listed by the swift current broncos and you know made the team as a 16 year old uh but got hurt you know during training camp (laughs) right after i signed my contract uh really bad um uh, hemorrhage to my uh, thigh and it all calcified and I couldn't bend my leg for three months. So went back to rehab and played some junior B and got rookie of the year of my team in the league and all of that stuff in the PIJHL and got got into one game with Swift Current and even got an assist my first game, which was pretty cool. And um, the following season, um, I, I made the Broncos, of course, and uh, ended up getting rookie of the year, the Swift Current Broncos. Um, but during that year, I, I really started to fall apart mentally and I um, ended up having to take a leave of absence that year, which would now be looked at as a mental health leave of absence. And um, you know, I went home and when I for a week or so, and I came back and I just got tormented by my teammates. They were calling me baby and all this stuff. Just go home, just go home, like you know. And and I mean, I, I don't agree with what they did, but at the same time, I wasn't really openly talking about what I was going through, or had gone through. You know, I was feeling very suicidal. Um, that year, I can still remember calling my dad and telling him I'm gonna, you know, eat a bottle of pills and that's it. And I just want to qu- quit life. I don't even want to quit hockey. I want to quit life. And um, somehow, some way, I made it through that year. And, and it was miserable for me. Um, and the following season, I went back and I would had every opportunity to succeed. I'm uh, playing on the first line and things. And I think seven games into the season, I packed up my truck and I just drove from Swift Current back to BC. And, um, you know, I, and that's where things kind of really started to fall apart. Um, prior to that season, I had experimented with drugs for the first time, something that I never really thought that I would do. You know, identifying as a hockey player, there's certain things that, you know, growing up, it was like, you can't do this. If you're a hockey player, you can't smoke, you can't, you know, do drugs. Of course, drinking was pretty much widely acceptable. So that was, you know, my first kind of thing. I started to drink and drink to get blackout at a very young age, um, to escape my, my trauma and and all this stuff that I'd gone through. And, um, but leaving the team, I, I came home and I kind of just really fell off the, fell off the wagon big time. And I ended up You know, playing with the Burnaby Express, who are now the Coquitlam Express of the BC Hockey League for a short time and uh, played online with Kyle Turris there and, um, you know, was missing games and missing practices because I was up partying the night before and just not caring and um, ended up, you know, getting hurt, Um, cut my Achilles tendon after a game in the dressing room. A skate fell on me, believe it or not, and um, didn't finish the season. They went on to win the national championship and I got kicked out of my house and I was essentially homeless for the first time at 18 years old um, moved in with a couple different friends and somewhere about mid July, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta somehow get back to the Western league. And during that time I was actually traded to the Everett silver tips. Um, you know, but I didn't report because I didn't want to leave home again. And, um, so because the trade didn't go through, my rights were sent back to Swift current. And, um, so I, you know, called Dean Shanouth, who's now with the Carolina hurricanes as an assistant coach. I, I said, Dino, like, can, I mean, I need to come back. I made a mistake. Right. So that's like. Twice I quit that team essentially, and um, he's like, "Well, you can come to training camp, but you're probably not going to make this team. Maybe we can find somewhere for you to play." And so I went to training camp, and I started to uh, you know fight a lot and and fight for fight for a spot on the team. And uh, it was really hard. I'm, it didn't matter what I did. I was on the fourth line for the first half of the season, even though the year before I was like you know first line rookie of the year, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's opportunity. Um, but I did it and, uh, but I wasn't okay, man. I was, I was drinking all the time and, um, had a couple of different, you know, issues with, uh, pregnancy <laughs> there in Swift Current and stuff. And it was just tough, uh, but I got through it and the following season, I got traded to the Kelowna Rockets just because of what I mentioned with having a girl pregnant from Swift Current a small town caused a lot of problems. Um, and, uh. And, yeah, so I got traded to Kelowna, and, you know, I showed up to Kelowna hungover. I'll never forget it. I stayed in the uh, the Coast Hotel in Calgary and, and flew out the next morning. I cle- I literally drank the entire minibar um, in that room by myself and showed up to Kelowna hungover. And um, I remember having to get on the ice. And, and you know, the, the young kids on the team, they were out of school that day, and the goalie coach was in town, so they had to go out and shoot on the goalies. And I had no gear. Swift Current took all my gear except for my skates. Everything. Absolutely <laughs> And so I had to get all new gear and they're like, Hey, you have all this new gear. You should, you know, hop on the ice and, and break it in if you want. Right. I was 20 at the time and I'll never forget. I was like, Oh, well, it's just with the young kids, how, you know, I should get out there. And I remember just feeling like crap. And, you know, little did I know those young players included, you know, Luke Shen, Tyler Myers, Tyson Berry, Jamie Ben, um, you know, among others, Brandon McMillan <laughs> and, a, <laughs> and a couple other guys that never made it to the NHL, but played pro like Evan Bludoff and, um, yeah Kyle St Dennis, who was just tiny, five six, but man, this guy was buzzing. I'll never forget it i uh, I got you know, was out there for an hour and then I had to practice for like an hour and a half after I felt like crap. I was like, man, my time here is done because they already had three 20-year-olds and one of them happened to be the captain of the team who was a hometown Kelowna kid. The other one was a goalie, Chris Westblom, who had been with them since they were 16 and took them to the Memorial Cup when uh, Kelly Gard got hurt. And the third one was Marc Messier's son. So I was like, well, there's no way that, you know, they're going to make room for me. And, uh, you know, I ended up kind of getting it together and and, and ended up making the team anyways. They actually cut Mark Messier's son the day before I arrived. Mark Messier was in the dressing room speaking to the team and everything else. So I was like, "There's yeah. just no way. How can they how can they let go like the the second leading scorer in NHL history? I believe his son go regardless. And so they did. And uh, I found uh, I had a really good year in Kelowna for whatever reason. I um you know, I didn't drink too much. I wasn't doing any drugs or anything like that. And um played on the line with with Jamie Ben and and Colin Long and had a pretty good year and was able to sign with Tampa and um but following the summer I I really fell apart um I really started to get heavy into the drugs and um that that summer is what you're referring to with Mitch Fadden is you know we were at the uh, playing exhibition with the Tampa Bay Lightning it was just after Steve Samkos got drafted first overall and um you know we were actually up drinking and doing drugs the night before if i'm honest i just never really went into detail with it and um we kind of just ran into each other because i was so out of it um and we just ran into each other in the (laughs) in the elevator we didn't really know each other at the time we'd played against each other in the western league he was drafted by tampa and was a whl all-star and and just a great hockey player and um so you know we got to talk he went back to his room and that's kind of when you know, the, the stuff came out and, and we stayed up all night just kind of talking and, and everything else and the next day was our first game and, you know, Barry Melrose came into the dressing room and, and read the starting lineup and it was me, Mitch Fadden, and Steve Stamco starting the game on forward and I just remember looking over at him like, oh man, like what the hell were we thinking <laughs> last night? Yeah. And, yeah, and so, you know, honestly, to be honest, I, I wasn't terrible at that camp, but by no means, like I hadn't trained, I hadn't done anything, um, which was kind of the common theme with me is never really went to training. I was just always, I, I don't know, man, I just, I kind of just white knuckled my entire hockey career. And, you know, that was a big part of always the regret. Like, what if I actually was able to have my head on straight and what if I actually trained, you know, how far would I be able to take it? And, um, you know, I ended up, uh, going to Norfolk at the American hockey league and, four games into the season, uh, I blew my knee out, and uh, the doctor prescribed me Oxycontin and and that was kind of where my addiction went from, you know, getting kind of bad to absolutely terrible, and, you know, not thinking it was so bad, because here's this doctor and multiple doctors giving it to me whenever I wanted, so even though I was misusing them and crushing them up and all this stuff, it was, you know, people, I remember at one time, someone found out and not many people knew like this severity of it and found out how I was doing it. And they're like, you know, that's the same thing as like doing heroin. It's pre- like prescription heroin. You know, you're really just a junkie. It was the first time anyone called me that word. And I was like, no way. Like these things are two totally different things. And now I know that's they were right. And right, that's yeah. what it is. And so, you know, I ended up uh, going down to the East Coast League for like a rehab stint. Um, you know, I think I pl- ended up playing 31 games and finished the season really strong. Uh, really strong. I had like nine goals in the last 10 games or something like that. And um, this was a struggle coming back. I was super overweight, out of shape, everything else. And, uh, you know, that summer, um, you know, I was set to, to train, which I was actually planning on doing. And I kind of did, but I was so severely addicted that, you know, I, I, by the time I was ready to go to training camp, I was like, man, I got to get off this stuff. And I had no idea what that was going to entail. I knew that my body was dependent on them. I knew that I needed them. Without them, I would be in full withdrawal, which is like the flu times a thousand where you, you're crapping yourself, you're puking, you can't sleep, you can't eat. It's the worst of the worst. And I didn't know, right? Now I know. I've done it so many times more than I can count withdrawal, unfortunately, but this was really the first time. And so I went to training camp and they were like, the hell's wrong with this guy? Like you know, like see you later type deal, yeah. uh, and that was you know the first time that I was like, wow, what the hell am I going to do? And um, instead of you know telling people and and saying, hey, I have a problem, hey, this is why or whatever, I was just trying to cover it up and do it on my own. And um, I was you know obviously I didn't play hockey um, for the next two seasons, um, and during that two years, I. Kind of made the switch to heroin and and all that. And finally, I went to rehab. I did a small comeback in the CHL, um, which is now merged with the ECHL, um, and did well. Did pretty well. I mean, again, it took me a a bit to get going, but um, did pretty good and uh, was set to possibly go back to the American League the next year and i came home and i'll never forget i flying into vancouver from texas and i just got over the city and i knew right there i was beat i knew that my addiction was calling me and that i wasn't done and even though i'd been able to stay clean for seven months at that time there was still something that was calling me and so within an hour of hitting that tarmac i i had relapsed and from there it it kind of went on a nine-year journey of of hell and You know, you you go from using it one way to using it the worst possible way with syringes and and things like this. And, um, you know, not too long after that, I became homeless on on the downtown uh, east side in Vancouver of Hastings Street, which is, you know, the worst place um, in maybe the world as far as drug condensity and people and homelessness. And um, especially in we're talking first world countries, there's just really no other place like it. And that's not me just saying that that's like known in the addiction community with the top doctors and everything else it's just an insane place and growing up out there you never think you're going to end up down there and sure enough I did I spent close to a year homeless down there and um, my addiction had started to really take me to some terrible places to do terrible things and there was really nothing that I wasn't you know willing to do to um, get what my body needed Um, and there wasn't really any substances that I wouldn't put in my body I was really just trying to die and if I go back for a second. I mean, prior to this, I'd spent, you know, like a year in the psych ward because of suicide attempts and different things. And, um, I was really just on a path of self-destruction and and how quickly can I, how quickly can I die without, you know, actually going and taking my own life. And, you know, I overdosed so many times and luckily that, you know, due to Narcan and and people being around, I was brought back. Um, but at the time I remember being angry about it. Like, just, just leave me. If that happens again, just leave me. Like, I don't want to be here. And, um, I say I got rescued, but I was really arrested um, because I started to commit just vast amount of crimes. I, my, my criminal record is, you know, uh, 100 feet long and, and has a little bit of everything on it. Um, things that I never thought that I would do, but when you get to that point, Um, It's just what happens. And you start to meet people that are doing things like this and they introduce you to here. And if you need money or you need this, here's a quick score. Here's this, here's that. And by that time, I had given up. I didn't care. I didn't think that there was any hope for me. And I thought I belonged down there. I thought I deserved all this. Um, And I ended up spending two years in jail that time. When I got out, um, I overdosed and very nearly died. Um, luckily I didn't Um, thank God to my mom's landlord at the time and there being a police officer um, at the end of a shift at six in the morning doing on on her computer right down the street otherwise you know um, I'm not here to have this conversation with you and um, so I moved to Ontario and and my addiction followed me out there as well or out here is where I'm now and um, ended up back behind bars and did another year in jail and uh, while I was in there I, I kind of started to do some more work on myself and I felt that maybe there's something more out there for me. I just had no idea what that looked like. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of fell back into my addiction initially getting out, but made it, made this conscious decision where one night I was walking on this clandestine road and I just started talking to myself and going like, I was going to go do, I, was, I think it was like a, like 10 or 11 days clean. Cause I was trying to get clean and I was in the middle of nowhere in Muskoka, Ontario. And, i was like you know i'm gonna but i have no money i've no nothing and after nine years of living that way those habits are very hard to break you yeah, know I you can i in jail and everything else so my mind wasn't wasn't functioning right it was like i'm going to go out and do some more stuff you know and who cares if i end up back in jail and i remember walking down this road and this this overwhelming feeling came over me and i looked up at the sky and then all of a sudden i started to talk to myself and it was um this is a true story and it was like you're going to go do this right now. Like, who are you really like you're clean right now. You're there's more to you than this. You do. And it was like somebody else talking to me, but I was talking to myself. It was like this five minute long conversation. It was on this dark back road highway. And in that moment, I turned around and I and I went home. And, and just prior to that, my girlfriend, you know, she just got pregnant. And that was really the, the thing, like, oh, we need money. We need to get out of, like, our own place, all this stuff. And she was begging me not to go. And so when I came back, whatever it was, half an hour after walking all that way yeah. and turning back. And it was, like, the end of winter. I had the thin little hoodie on. I was so cold. And I came back. And she's like, well, what happened? And I'm like, I can't do it. And I was like, "There's, I gotta do something else." And the very next day, I put my skates on for the first time in in nine years, and uh, skated down her parents' driveway, right onto the lake that they live on. Like no joke, right down the driveway, down the dirt road, right onto the lake, like a scene out in the movie *Mystery Alaska*. And Skated around for ten minutes, and it just the most freeing experience, and and allowing myself to put my skates back on and do it. And, um, luckily, the Swift Current Broncos sent me a pair of my custom skates as the new the new model Bowers, which I couldn't believe they were like bulletproof <laughs> like these new skates. I was like, wow, and uh, yeah, and so that kind of just inspired me to get back into hockey, and that's kind of you know how I started the podcast. And I'll let you speak because I know I've been going hard, but that's kind of the backstory and there's so many other layers. And if anybody does want to, you know, see more, there's lots on Sportsnet and the hockey news and different things. And of course my podcast, but if you have any questions for that, I'd be ha- more than happy to answer them.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and like you said, there's a lot there, um, a lot to unpack and stuff like that. I guess the kind of the part that, um, uh, jumped out at me was, <clears throat> you know, yeah, at first you, you have this, uh, event in your life that that starts these behavioral changes and and this is you know uh 25 plus years ago the the things we know about those kind of abuses um now i I just weren't back then so so you know um obviously you you're not going to forgive anybody for not asking because because you you expect people to to look out for kids but um, but I can understand how it happens. Like these behaviors change, there's another event, your, your parents are, are uh, no longer together and everyone's chalking it up to, to that. But, um, was there, you know, did, did you have, like you said, there was some manipulation and stuff like that. Was there, <clears throat> was there ever somebody that reached out that, that Brady chose to, to keep that in, or was that just something that, you know, See no evil, speak no evil, all the way through until because you kind of get to a point where, um, if I'm kind of hearing it, uh, your ability to play hockey kind of brought people into your life that, you know, if you kept up your end of the bargain, they kept up theirs, and it kind of enabled this uh, this all the way along the, these multiple chances with places that other people are are you know striving and, and would do anything to get. Um, and, and there's a culture around that in, in hockey, and, I, and I'm aware of it. I've I'm, I'm I'm, I'm been involved with hockey my whole life. Um, d- is it hard for you now as an adult with kind of clear eyes looking back to, to see all these signposts and say, I understand how, how this happened and how I slipped through here and all the way along? Or is that something that kind of you, you're still reconciling?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, the first part of that, you know, I think it was definitely, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. There was multiple times in my life, I um, can't remember the first time um, when somebody, people, multiple people started to ask me, like, are you sexually abused? And, you know, I would be like, no, absolutely not. Like, you're crazy. Like, you know, right. you know, um, but it always seemed to, they always seemed to ask, get a coach, sexually abuse you. Right. And that yeah. would never happened to me. Um, but I just, I would play it off. Like, no, are you crazy? Like I would, t- you know, absolutely not. And I, I bet you I had probably like five to 10 people from the time I was 16 to, to 26 when I first actually started to tell my family about it. Um, and I'm i thir- I'm going to be 34 in August just to give people an idea of how old I am. But, um, yeah. And so, I, here's the thing too with that is that there's a lot of people, especially those that I trained with, um, guys like Andrew Ladd who won two Stanley Cups, um, Brandon Yip and uh, a couple other guys uh, and some guys that never were able to make even the, the level that I made it to Like as far as like junior hockey, major junior hockey and that, that I would train with or, or not train with because I wouldn't show up. Like <laughs> yeah. if they were every single day you know, showing up and busting their butt and all of this stuff to get better. And here I was just, you know, living my own trauma through, they didn't know, but I wasn't showing up and just, I looked like an asshole for a lack of better words that, you know, I didn't care and that I was ungrateful and I have this opportunity and I'm not seizing it. And if they had it, they would be working so much harder. Like what is wrong with this guy? you know? And so people started to really dislike me because of the way I was behaving. And I kind of got blackballed in pretty much every league and by other scouts and by everything else and and friends and people I knew. And, and rightfully so. I mean, it wasn't that I was a bad guy, but it was like, what's something going on here? And he's not telling us. So like, he's, you're making it hard for us to help or even want to be around you because it's just so chaotic. And so all over the place. And so, you know, now looking back at Like, I can't even tell you, I I know I just ran through that story fairly quickly, um, but how many chances I've gotten, um, you know, even as a a young kid quitting teams and different things and coming back, and um, just how many lives I've had, more than a cat, more than nine, Yeah. and and never mind all the overdoses and everything else, but it's, you know, I, I see the signs now where, at the end of the day, I just... I didn't tell anybody, right? So, I think some people knew that. Obviously, more was going on. Um, Swift Current Broncos brought in a sports psychologist um, to chat with me, but I wasn't, you know, willing to tell the sports psychologist anything because I was knew that at the time I was 17 and underage, and I wasn't going to tell him I wanted to kill myself and and all the stuff that had gone on because I wanted. I thought it would affect my hockey career, right? right. I didn't and, – and, oh, I would get back to the coach or this or that. And that was the attitude that I have. Now, being this age, it's like, man, I wish I would have told these people because maybe I would have been able to get some sort of relief and actually gone and followed my dreams further than what it took me. Like, I – you know, even after quitting the Broncos and playing with the Burnaby Express, there was talks of me being drafted from the BC Hockey League And you know, even after I quit the Western League. And then, you know, so there's there's these things where, and then I quit that, and it was like, oh, well, this guy's an idiot. He's What's wrong with this guy? There's got to be more underlying issues. And so I got blackball until finally I had that good year with Kelowna. And, and they're like, oh, well, maybe he's kind of figured it out. No, I didn't. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just feel very lucky for all those chances. But at the same time um because of hockey i think you get you just sort of get a pass on a lot of stuff and it sort of becomes the focus and that's kind of you know where i'm heading now is like humanizing hockey players and and trying to make them feel comfortable and and make the coaches feel comfortable and the hockey parents feel comfortable to to know how to handle these issues whatever it may be so um i hope that answered your question i know is all over the place just cut me off if i'm talking too much Gord, because i'm talking
0: No, it's, it's all good, man. I, uh, and I appreciate the kind of, um, it's not rambling because you're not going in circles. You're, you're kind of leading to the next thing and the next thing. And it's great, uh, conversation. Um, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about, um, is, is kind of what you're doing now, but there's one, one part of the discussion you had with Sean that, um, that I, I bet you I listened to three times to try to to make sense of it in my head and and I'm I think I'm a reasonably bright guy and I still don't know that it makes sense to me and so I'm going to ask you again um when you talk about being in Hastings and you're in this area you you talked about a couple of times um, being around somebody who who overdoses yeah. and and the addict mind says I want some of that yeah um and and I guess you know I understand that your brain's not working; it's chemically uh, it's chemically altered. But but I need to better understand that. Uh, is it just because you're always chasing that first high? And if if it took somebody else that close, you think it's going to get you there? Or is it the true hopelessness of the situation? And and you see that person laying there lifeless, and you and you're actually like, uh, I, I want to try that. I don't I don't I don't understand that, Brady. And I just if you could give me like the quick and you know Cole's notes version of the, of that mindset because I think that's a, a, a just a crazy thing that people need to understand how an addict's brain works to think like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple parts I get into quick, but yeah, that's um, that's the way it is, and it wasn't just me; it's uh, a lot of people. So I think when you're talking, you know, opiates, whether it be heroin, which un- not unfortunately, but yeah, kind of unfortunately, there's not really heroin around anymore it's all fentanyl Um, I'll call it heroin but it's fentanyl and if you you know I remember when I first switched to heroin Gord it was you know pretty powerful potent it it would make me feel better at the end of the day when you're addicted to fentanyl and heroin and, and Percocets or Oxys uh, it gets to a point where you, your body relies on it you need it and you're just doing it to feel quote-unquote normal um, you know because if you don't have it you can't even get out of bed You're just I can't explain it unless people have lived the, the addiction to opiates There's nothing like it without it. You can't do anything. That's why it becomes a number one priority It's not that you don't care about your kids or about your job or whatever. It's like if you don't have that first there's nothing else is going to happen in your day because you can't even get out of bed. And so when you see somebody, at least for me, and I know that it was like, it's the whole population everywhere and not just in Hastings, because I've seen it here in Ontario. And I was actually just talking about it this morning at a doctor's appointment before coming on here about the same thing The the girl at the, at the doctor's office was talking about this strong stuff going around right now. And this girl had had died. And, you know, she asked the people that were there that came in and told her the story, well, did it ever make you think that you wanted to stop or whatever? They're like, no, we kept doing it. And so, you know, when you, when I just, when you see somebody go under, you always think that, well, that like, you're trying to get to the the edge without going over, you're not going to be the one to overdose. So I can handle that stuff. Right. And so I legitimately seen people trying to narcan which is the reversal agent for overdose of opiates say like we need to narcan this person so we can find out where they got this stuff from so that that's we just, can get it
0: yeah that's a crazy way to think like for for somebody who's not an an addict right yeah, I, 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 absolutely admittedly.
1: absolutely it's still now on the other side of it it is crazy because it, it, You're seeing somebody legitimately dying. Whether and I've saw people unfortunately pass away where the Narcan didn't work or they weren't get it to them in time. Can't tell you how many people I've seen overdose and die, um, and and how many even more overdose and get saved. You know, it's yes. how many times have I administered Narcan? I would say over a hundred times, and that's on a, a that's just be saying safe. That's not exaggerating at all. Um, that's the life down there. It's it's multiple times a day people are getting. Probably like 40 to 50 times a day, someone's getting Narcan down in Hastings. It just becomes normal. You become immune to it. And so when you see that, it's like, wow, like that's some powerful stuff. It's like, you know, it's the way that I can describe it is this. If you see a, a new pair of Bauer skates come out, the 2X Pros or whatever the skates are, the new True Skates, I should use True because they're my guys, but the new True Skates come out and you're a hockey kid and you're like, oh, those are the best skates. I want to get those. That's the mentality for a drug addict when they see somebody overdosing and dying it's like that's the best i need that and and it's just that's the only way i can describe it but it doesn't yes it doesn't make sense to me um and it's everybody like you don't stop to think that hey this might this might kill me you don't care because you're not you're not even thinking about dying you don't care if you die you're just trying to escape from all the trauma and everything else and so yeah it is crazy man it's uh it's not a good way to live and i'm so thankful to be out of it
0: yeah, well, I mean, obviously, that's uh, that goes without saying, and 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 you know, there's a lot more that we could talk about. Uh, I mean, you had a a, a pretty solid 15 minute um, explanation of your backstory, and and I and I do believe there's a lot of context in that backstory. But uh, you know, you like we were talking earlier, you did uh, an hour and a half with Sean Newman, episode 176 of the Sean Newman podcast. If people, you know, want to want to get into the nitty gritty on that, or, or I mean, like you said, um, there's there's all kinds of literature on the internet about about the rest of it. Uh, ultimately, Brady, the thing that I'm excited to talk to you about, and the thing that I, I think um, is probably the 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 real kind of the the, the story here, is what you're doing now. Um, this puck support, uh, the whole idea behind it. Man, some of the names that you brought up, and some of the names that you have on your website, uh, I'll be honest, I I, I know the name Marek Svatos. I didn't understand that he he was deceased. You know what I mean? There's yeah. uh, so many of these um, names and and people that are on there, and people that are involved with you, uh, that are that are you know helping you with this, and and you're leading the charge. So so can you talk about how kind of the the long dark road? discussion with yourself that led to puck support and and what you're doing and, and what's behind that.
1: Yeah, so just after that that day I told you I went skating on the lake, it was, you know, in to mid-March I would say of uh 2020. So not that long ago, just over a year ago, and for you know, for the remaining a uh, few days of winter, I I continued to skate and um you know, the ice started to melt and I was like, "Man, I'm itching for hockey, but you know, maybe not even so much playing, but just to get connected with it again. And so I decided to start a podcast. It was originally called Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, pretty hard hitting name. Yeah. Um, and uh, did pretty well, like out the gate, you know, cracked the the top 10 of uh, po- hockey podcasts in Canada for a while. And um, now it's now it's hard to track because I do them by video and, and audio and everything else. But um, you know, and, and so I started to I got on there and I kind of shared my story. The first one was terrible. Twenty minutes, terrible audio quality. I didn't even have a computer. I had to borrow it. Didn't have a microphone. Didn't have nothing. I barely I, I didn't. I had one set of clothes at this time. Seriously, I was I was a broken down individual, and I'm still you know, somewhere along those lines, but we're piecing it back together slowly. And so, you know, I started to share my story and then I started to, you know, get some guests on. um, And I started to uncover that my story, though in some cases maybe a little extreme, I wasn't alone and I'm not alone. And unfortunately, there's been way too many suicides and overdoses um, in our beautiful sport of hockey. I mean, it's not a hockey problem per se, but it's a world problem, I think there's just not enough being done about mental illness and addiction and certainly not in hockey i mean it's like taboo it's like we don't want to talk about these things as players as we don't want to see it as coaches and things and but the fact and the reality is is that they're there and they're there in droves like my, i thought i was the only one that was you know in jail and addicted to fentanyl or heroin and all this stuff and it, i came to find out that you know there's several guys that played major junior and pro that you know were on those sit- live that same life in some capacity and I know of three active you know junior professional hockey players that are incarcerated right now um, and even more that are out there addicted unfortunately that I'm trying to help on a consistent basis Um, but the thing that really hit home for me was when I found out about Matthew Lazinski he played for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and you know his best friend heard my podcast and reached out to me and was like man, I feel like I'm listening to my friends speak right now, the jail, the the overdosing, the, all of this stuff. And, um, and he's like, unfortunately, he passed away in 2017 to an overdose. And I was like, wow, it's, uh, it's I just, I couldn't believe it. That was really the first story that I started to hear. Um, and then, you know, Sportsnet did this story on me last year, right after I started my podcast. And that's when I shared the story about Mitch Fadden. So going back to that story, like, you know, I, I left Mitch's name out of the story because I hadn't talked to him in a number of years and it wasn't my business to to blast his dirty yeah. in the in the article. So I left his name out. And So when the article came out, I took to Facebook and everywhere and I'm tra- messaging Mitch. I'm like, man, you got to read this article. It's, you know, I heard, I heard he was doing better. You know, he had messaged me like a year or something before that saying he's doing all right. He's not playing hockey because he got really bad back injury and all this stuff. Well, Anyways, tried to find him and messaged him for like two weeks until finally I made a post about it on Facebook and somebody, you know, was like, "Hey, what's your number?" I gave him my number and I got got a, my phone rang and was like, "Hey, you know, I've seen your post. I think you should sit down and I just want to let you know that Mitch Fadden passed away in 27 to a, 2017 to a fentanyl overdose." And I just I collapsed in the ground because we lived together in Norfolk when we were in the American League together and um, for at least like close to three months and and of course that time in Victoria. Victoria when we were the story I told you about and I just I couldn't believe it um, and him and Matthew Lazinski died two weeks apart in the same year Um, And then I started to do a lot more research. I found out my coach, my first year pro Quentin Van Horlick, who I also was in treatment with the first time I ever went to treatment. I walked in the doors and he was the first person I saw. He was also the first person I met when I turned pro walked into the dressing room. He's the one who took me to my apartment and everything else. An incredible guy played pro hockey as well. He took his own life by intentional fentanyl overdose. And, you know, it. Those two, those three stories were really the ones that, you know, shook me to the core. But as I continue to research, I'm finding new stories all the time. And, you know, just in this past a couple of weeks ago, we lost another Peterborough Pete's prospect to suicide, um, you know, and um, just, multiple overdoses you talk about Merrick Svatos and Jeremy Domish and I mean the list goes on for people who want to check it out you know pucksport.com there's a picture there and um, there's like a collage picture and every single person in that picture has died from suicide or overdose with the exception of Bob Probert because technically his death is labeled as a cardiac arrest but we all know he lived a very hard life and I've become, yeah. very, I've become very very close with his family Danny and the four kids um, they're very big supporters. Actually, she promised me. She came on my podcast. She promised me that if I get my motorcycle license for a year, I can ride Bob Probert's Harley and the Bob Probert Memorial Ride that they do every single year in Windsor. So, um, uh, it's pretty pretty cool, right? And yeah. and, and so you know they 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 support and they love and love what I'm doing, and and I love what they're doing. And you know I talk to at least one of them in the family. I would say a couple times a week still, just via text. And um, yeah. And so a uh, big part of What I wanted to do was support hockey players when they're done playing. And then I started to uncover stories, Gord, of, like, there's Nick and Jack Savage, two brothers, uh, very young in their teens, you know, both overdosed and died in the same night to Oxycodone, hockey players. Um, And and just these stories, it's just terrible. And I feel how lucky I am that, you know, my suicide attempts didn't, you know, I wasn't successful waking up in the hospital heart rate monitors my parents around me and everything else my overdoses I I, for whatever reason somebody was looking out over me um, and I'm still here to tell my story but I know that there's a lot that aren't and um, for people listening to the audio behind me there's you know pictures behind me and every single picture behind me is one of the ones that we've lost Um, And I add a new one every podcast now. I've been doing it for the last 20 podcasts. I honor one of the individuals um, at the beginning of each show and and dedicate that show to their memory. And um, on top of that, um, you know, we have a clothing line. And in every single piece of clothing, um, like this hat, I know it might be backwards, but um, we'll have a name uh, in the year year that they were born and the year that they passed away on the inside of the hat, my hoodie, you know, I have Mitch's name, actually. You probably can't see it, but it says Mitch Fadden. So it's a way that we, we can honor those that we've lost. And, you know, it's, it's been amazing to, and, and hard, but we've connected with a lot of the families um, as well. Um, And and they just uh, seem to appreciate what, what we're doing and what I'm doing. And I mean, POC support kind of started and everything is me like, you know, the website, the, the clothing, the social media, it's all me. And, and, Thank goodness it's changing because now we're actually getting it, you know, incorporated as a charity and um, having a, a professional marketing and business team come in. We have a beautiful business case and a plan, and 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 we're going to roll it all out. and It's exciting. The first real launch is going to be this fall, um, but the idea behind it, you know, we have three key programs. Um, you know, just having access um, to hockey players, coaches, and parents for mental illness and addiction issues, and education, and um, you know, just showing that there there is support out there for them, um, regardless of what level they play. If they have a stick in their hand, then they're considered a hockey player and they deserve that support. And I actually have goals of one day, you know, branching out of the hockey community as well um, and doing going back down to the downtown east side and doing some work down there because it's very near and dear to my heart. I've lost a lot of people that I know down there. and But right now what I know is is hockey and and mental illness and addiction. And I hope to go back to school to, um, you know, actually get some accreditation I guess Um, but my lived experience through it I I believe when you have lived experience it it's actually more valuable than than any sort of diploma but if you can put those two things together well then look out so that's my plan but yeah so puck support started and it's continually evolving Um, next spring uh, I'm going to be rollerblading across Canada uh, starting in Newfoundland ending in Port Coquitlam my hometown which I haven't been home for uh, over four years now so it's going to be exciting to get back there and um, just recently I um, you know signed a partnership with True Hockey which is um, still blows my mind um, you know arguably one of the best hockey companies in the world um, especially these days um, believing in me and and you know I was in jail less than two years ago like a year and a half ago I was behind bars you know with no hope no nothing um, and, and here we are today and I have not just true hockey behind me, but so many um, hockey legends and behind me, like Doug Gilmore and Darren McCarty and Brent Sopel, and um, you know current NHLers like Ryan Johansson, Curtis Gabriel, like you know, just really believing in me and, and puck support and what we're doing. And I think there's a huge there's a huge need for it. Maybe now more than ever, coming out of COVID, um, especially with the younger generation, these kids were essentially forced into early retirement for a while. And if anybody knows hockey, when, when guys finish playing, it's very hard to find your way. Um, you know, that identity has gone and that outlet is gone, <clears throat> excuse me. And that camaraderie is gone. And unfortunately we've had a couple of kids during this pandemic take their own life, you know, uh, hockey players. And it's, it's just terribly sad. And it's my ultimate goal was to help one person. And I can confidently say that I try to do that on a consistent basis, um, but we have big plans moving forward and i'm just very grateful today i am uh, 16 months clean um you know off of all the hard stuff and it's um you know i don't drink i i don't do much of anything i use some natural medicines for for healing my my brain and different things that might be a conversation for another day but um nothing to escape i would say um you know microdosing um and using cbd is is what i'm talking about for anybody listening but um you know just um just different things because i've tried you know i've tried going down the pharmaceutical route before and i've tried healing my bipolar and my adhd and all the <laughs> diagnoses that i have with pharmaceuticals and i think they're great for some people but for me um you know make me feel like a zombie and make me feel like i'm using again so i don't like to um, but today man i'm i'm doing pretty good and i um, just Super grateful um, for everyone's support because I'll tell you what I never in a million years thought that I would ever be able to one stay clean. I I could not go five minutes without using, you know, drugs. I'm not kidding. Like I was terrible. My arms are all scarred up. And, you know, you can tell that I've lived a rough life. Um, But I never, ever, ever thought that I would be able to get back with the hockey community again. And, you know, once I started to share my story in its entirety, um, I'm also writing a book. So there's some things that I haven't shared Uh, on Sean's podcast. I went pretty deep on some stuff, but there's there's a lot more to it. And I I plan on writing a book and, and really laying it all out there. But for the most part, there's everything that I've done you know, generally speaking, is out there for people to see, for people to judge if they want. And that was always a thing, Gord, is that I know I'm kind of talking a lot, but, you know, my whole life I was so scared of being accepted, so scared of being judged, right, so scared of what people think of me. And I kind of just, instead of hiding all my shame and guilt and the things that I've done, I've put them all out there for people to judge. And if people want to hate, they can hate. If people want to support, I'm so grateful for their support. But I'm not carrying around trying to pretend to be somebody I'm not anymore. I live every single day owning all the mistakes that I've made, owning all the choices that I've made, also owning the fact that I need to do some self-healing surrounding the trauma that I've suffered by doing sexual abuse, trauma counseling and different things, and having the right people in my life and the supports in my life to the point where now I can actually be that for, for others as well and, and get out of myself and stop worrying and being so selfish about what's going on with me and, and being there for others. And that's been a huge key component to being able to get where I'm at today.
0: That's, and that's actually kind of, you, you, you touched on a little bit about what, what I wanted to ask you about next. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about um, like the never ending Ness of stuff like this, where they say, are you willing to sprint when the finish line is unknown? And, and that's what you're doing here. Like, I mean, we, you've gone through all these names and, and there's just a constant renewal of people that are going to be having these issues and, and it, there's no finish line for you. And, and you, you're very clearly sprinting. You're, you're furiously trying to catch up because there's so many people ahead of you and, and you talked a little bit about it, but I'd like to address it kind of directly. What is success? For puck support is it one kid is it creating a network so that a hundred kids is it getting to the point where um you know the entrance into major junior hockey results in in kids getting these tools in their toolbox I, I i'm curious what it is for you brady because it's it's so big and it's so all-encompassing there must be some days where you just wake up and go wow for a guy who 18 months ago was in jail he bit off a big chunk here what's what's that look like and and at night when you're just before you close your eyes what's the measure of success for you
1: yeah uh great question Gord. And um you know i <laughs> i don't feel like we've been successful because like you said i think there's been minor successes of course like but like you said it's never ending and just when you know I'm starting to have a good day and feel like things are getting good. All of a sudden, somebody will message me with another kid that has taken his own life or overdosed. And it's like, just makes me want to work even harder. But I think, you know, if you, if I had to answer that question with a definitive answer, success for puck support would be, you know, knowing, you know, every hockey community, you know, starting with Canada and eventually being, you know, worldwide in Europe and in, in states everywhere that's hockey is prominent, I think would be knowing that, you know, all the hockey players, all the hockey parents, um, all the fans, everybody knows that there's people out there that care about them. Um, and that there's somewhere they can go to turn for help. And there's a lot of great organizations, even in the hockey community that are trying to do this. And, um, I I support all of them and it's never just about, for me, it's not for us. It's not just about Puck support. It's about networking and and making those connections to having one narrative, having one common place, whatever that looks like under whatever, what name that looks like. I don't care. Um, I just want to know by the time that I'm gone from this earth, not only that I've done everything, but that people actually legitimately have a place to get education and support i think there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of great initiatives um i also think that there's a lot of others without naming any of them that is smoke and mirrors and and it to me there's certain initiatives where you know you start talking about something but then where do you go for support after you're ready to talk yeah. about these things and so i i have this dream of, of having it you know you know, I've had meetings with the NHL, the NHL PA, um, you know, and, and they're maybe a little bit premature, but now we're really starting to have this business case and, and all of this, these things that we want to get together. We're going to do some major fundraising and things because um, it's going to, it's going to take money, right? Like you can't, you can't provide services and, and programs without having money. And so, you know, success for puck support, I think would just being, just having uh, the hockey world um, starting in Canada Um, know that you know we're here and that we care about you and that there is always hope you know like you don't have to go down the life that I did with addiction and suicide attempts you don't have to um, be one of our angels on the wall behind me like it doesn't have to get to that and uh, you know the big focus now I think is obviously supporting those when they're done playing Gord but Making sure that we're getting to the grassroots level, like you know, empowering these kids to to know that you know people out there care, they're not alone. That you know, I, I would love to see the day when when kids are openly talking about their mental health issues, or if they're having a hard time, and they're you know able to kind of help each other through them instead of having to hold back and say you know I'm not going to tell my friends because I'm worried about if they're going to accept me or judge me or like me or whatever. Where we can have that openness and and just know because. I have don't know one person, not one single person that doesn't know somebody or been affected some way by mental illness or addiction. I have not met s- or both. There's not anybody that I know that can tell me, no, I don't know anybody that's been, hasn't been mentally ill or a, an alcoholic or a drug addict or whatever. Like it might not be your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad or whatever, but you're never like any kid that's in school will have known somebody by the time they graduate, either during their time in school or after that will be affected by this. And that's the thing is like, it's so common. Um, And like you said, it's likely not going anywhere, but we need to put more attention and and more support into these programs and and just empowering these kids to know that there's people that care. And I would love to see the day, like you like I said, just to start knowing that these kids are, you know there for each other and have the right tools to either deal with it on with so they can come out and talk about it or on the other side of that you're a teammate and you notice that your teammate's having a hard time and you know how to pull them aside and talk to yeah. them and, and tell an a parent or whatever that looks like in the situation um, and just try to you know it 's one thing to destigmatize mental health and addiction and stuff, but it 's another thing to normalize it because unfortunately it 's a it 's a normal occurrence in our world um, and I feel like it 's getting worse as time goes on
0: yeah well, and all that absolutely uh i I see that in in my life as well and i I can second that that everyone is affected by it um, Very few people are equipped to to deal with it uh and recognize it and, and deal with it appropriately. Um, so, kind of typically, what I do at the end of these is I kind of say, ask if there's anything uh, the guy, the the guest, wants to touch on. Um, we've we've kind of done that. The one question I have at the end, and, and if you could talk to a little bit about it, um, what, what is the re- your relationship like with your parents right now? You you talk about them, you know, being around. You wake up, life support. Uh, heart rate monitors on on, on your mom's landlord's uh, front step. Cops coming around. Um, have have you been able to kind of sit down now as an adult and and discuss kind of all of this and and make peace with decisions that were made and and how things went in order to lead you to this point or? And I know this is a, a personal question. It might be hard, but uh, like, is that something that you can reconcile as an adult that they were, they were just trying to do the best they could at the time? Because when, when a person's five and six and 12, I mean, parents know everything and now you're 34 years old and you realize nobody knows anything and everyone's just winging it. Yeah. Um, so, so is that something that you guys have been able to reconcile and you guys can sit around a table and say, man, what a crazy ride or, or is, or are we not quite there yet?
1: Yeah. First off, I, I, you know, it's interesting you said about you know all of a sudden you get to be an adult and you're like going like, where are all the real adults? Like, what's going on? (laughs) Like, is there any such thing? And yeah, but you know, it, it obviously was a really tough road, right? Like, my dad is a. Now a retired fire captain, Uh, he was a firefighter for 35 years and he retired a couple years early because he was just terrified that he was going to have to go to a call and and it was going to be me that was overdosed because he was dealing with so many overdoses. So he's also a scout for the Saskatoon Blades, so very connected in the hockey world. And and when all that stuff was happening and I'm in jail and it's headlines of the the province newspaper in Vancouver, ex-hockey pro sentenced to jail, all this stuff, I mean, everybody knew, right? It's pretty embarrassing. Um, my mom, when I was in jail in BC, she would come see me every week. Um, my dad, it took him a year to come see me. Um, they were at my court appearances. It was the only time I really seen them together so much. Uh, you know, having to get sentenced to and hearing all the stuff that I had done, knowing that they were there, it was hard, right? Um, without question. Um, uh, my relationship with my parents now is pretty good. I haven't seen them in four years. Last time I saw my dad, he was dropping me off at the airport and I was doing, you know, after I Thought he left. I, to be honest, I, I snuck in the bathroom to, to use some drugs and he came storming in and caught me. And that was the last time I saw him. But my dad's been on my podcast, I think, three times now. Um, we kind of have this thing every 50th episode, he, he comes on and, and we, we talk, So he's been on like three, I think three for three episodes out of 170 that I've done or something, but he's also been in a, a guest appearance uh, when I had one of my childhood friends on a guy who was drafted by the LA Kings. Um, my dad coaches a kid. Um, yeah, my dad and I's relationship is, is progressively getting better. Like, you know, he's, we actually have uh, we can talk and I'm not just calling him and asking him for money or, um, not getting a call saying, you know, I owe a, oh, a drug dealer money or that I'm in jail or, you know, that uh, I've done something bad. Like, you know, my dad now is reposting my stuff on Facebook and, um, you know, I think he's proud of what I'm doing. And I always told him, even when I was in my roughest time, I said, some way, somehow, I'm going to. I'm going to find a way to restore our family name. I'm going to make you proud. I just don't know what that looks like. And I always thought it would, would mean you know, going back and playing hockey because that's all the only ideas I had. Um, this was totally unexpected, I think, for everybody. I think a lot of people, including my family, had kind of written me off as, as dead or gone, including myself, um, a lot of my friends. There's a lot of relationships that maybe will never be mended because of some of the things that I've done. And I've accepted that. But I have so many great people around me. Um, but yeah, me and my dad's relationship, I can't wait to see him. You know, he's, uh, he's an incredible guy. He was so great to me. Um, he was my hero, my role model. And, um, uh, it's one of the greatest gifts of, of this recovery journey is, is having that friendship back with my dad. I can't wait to play golf with him cause he's an avid golfer. Um, I talked to my mom, not as much as I talked to my dad, but my mom was so good to me. Um, you know, I think she, I, I, still hold a lot against her, or I did, so I don't still, I mean, I, I did hold a lot of stuff against her as a kid, and growing up, the fact that she left, and I always said it was because she left, but I felt like she didn't protect me when I was there, but it wasn't her fault, there were so many people and family, it's supposed to be trusted, like, you know yeah. how, this was back in, like, the early 90s, it was like, you know, everyone, okay, you go with Uncle Steve, or whoever, that's not the guy's name, by the way, but just using as an example, but... Yeah. So, you know, I talked to my, my parents, they're both, uh, I would say proud of me today and and we're able to have those conversations, but yeah, it's, um, I can't imagine, you know, having to be a parent, like I'm a parent now. I couldn't imagine, you know, the things that I put, especially my dad through, um, how much money did I take from him and the stories I would conjure up and say I was being held hostage. And I mean, there was times when I was um, legitimately being held hostage. But after you see something like that work, it's like, OK, well, I'm going to play on his heartstrings. And I, I gave my dad like almost a heart attack. I remember one day he was hooked up to a stress machine in the hospital because of all the sh- crap that I was doing. Um, and he literally took a picture of you know him hooked up to these machines. I was so addicted. Like I cared. But I was still like can you please send me money like that's the power of addiction right and so I'm so grateful that we're able to I think the relationship will always continue to grow I think he's still maybe a little bit leery but as I've noticed especially in the last I would say three months things between him and I've gotten so much better um, where he started to post my stuff and and all of that and I know you know I know that he's uh, he's really proud and it seems like every day, You know, somebody's coming out of the woodwork to to shoot me a message. I mean, every day I'm getting new people message me, which I'm so grateful for. But people from my past, including, like, I mentioned Andrew Ladd earlier, he, I didn't talk to him in like 10, 11 years. And he messaged me the other day and was like, Hey, I see what you're up to, man. We're so proud of you. Keep going. And uh, when the season's over, I want to come on your podcast and all of this stuff. And um, it's, you know, just knowing that, you know, these these people are still there for me. And um, I think before I, or I know you probably want to wrap up, but I think while I was going through it, Gord, I was always like, "Well, where is everybody? Like, why aren't they why aren't they help trying to help and support me?" And it was like I was impossible. I don't blame them now. Now <laughs> see, it's like I've tried to help. You know, without naming names, I actually tried to help a, a former teammate of mine, brought him out here, and tried to get him clean and all this stuff. And it was like uh, it was the worst experience of my life. Like he wasn't ready. <laughs> like there was yeah. nothing do and he was try. it almost jeopardized my recovery not the fact that I felt like going back to use but like I, it was impossible circumstances and I wasn't re- ready to get honest or be open I was just really trying to manipulate everybody to stay in my addiction and so people have to cut you off and now that they can see that I put in the work and it's been this I've, man, I've been busting my butt people have no idea how much work and and sometimes I'm working hard because I'm doing things that I'm not great at like building websites and yeah. picture editing and all this stuff i'm like learning off of youtube but it's what i had to do to try to just prove that i'm doing this i'm doing it for the right reasons and this is my passion this is what gets me out of bed every single day and uh you know i love doing my podcast and it's been uh, fairly successful and i'm just so lucky to have certain like people come on like i've had kelly rudy on doug gilmore's been on a couple times theo flurry's been on like you know i just so much sheldon kennedy i mean the proverb. Danny Prober, I mean the list goes on I'm, I, I hate to start name dropping But it's just very lucky And, and I think the most important thing is I have a lot of great conversations with guys who never necessarily had long successful NHL careers, but just about killed themselves trying to get there. Uh, They come on and they open up about their struggles and and the stories of addiction and mental illness on my podcast. That's basically what it's all about. Um, You know, if I just, if you don't mind, I'll plug it in. It's now called hockey to hell and back. Um, We do them live. I do them live. I always say, we, it's just me. (laughs) Uh, uh, We do them live uh, Wednesdays and and Sunday nights at 8. PM Eastern. Um, on YouTube and Facebook and um, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty hard hitting topics, much like the one uh, conversations like we just had, but um, they're important stories. And I'm just grateful for my guests to come on and and share so open and honestly all the time. It it blows me away. um, And just to know that there's so many people out there suffering. And the last thing I'll say, I know you probably want to go is just, if anyone hears this and you're having a hard time or, you know, someone having a hard time with mental illness or addiction, um, you know, especially if it's you yourself, don't give up on yourself. If you fail, keep picking yourself back up, keep trying, um, there is always hope. It, it hurts. It takes a, sometimes a long time, it takes a ton of persistence, but there is a way out of that hell, and you don't have to live there and you don't have to do it alone. And that to me is the biggest message I want to convey to people. Um, and I hated when people said this to me, Gord, if I can do it, you can do it. I'd be like, you don't know me. Don't tell me that. Yeah. I'm dead serious. You know, like if I can do it and where I was at, I'm not special. I'm not, you know, any more competent or anything. It was just about, starting to, to listen to myself and, and listen to others and, and let the right people into my life um, and started to take some chances and get honest. So if I can do it, I swear anybody can do it. Um, it just takes a lot of time sometimes and just please don't give up on yourselves.
0: So like I said earlier, uh, just an unbelievable story Brady has. Uh, we didn't get into all of the gory details. As I said, that's available on um, on Sean's podcast episode 176, but the just the the discussion points the people the names he was talking about um the the accountability that goes into some of those things and i'll be honest in canada we we give young men that are good at hockey a lot of rope and and you know brady talks about his best level at best attempts to to fashion it into a noose and and he you know maybe had it there but he, he didn't uh he didn't managed to, to take a step. And I think that's the important thing, um, talking offline with Brady and uh, and working with him a little bit on some of the things that he's doing. Uh, it's just incredible to see, you know, what um, somebody who who comes out the other side of this with a clear eye and, and a clear head, uh, some of the good that can be done with this. The second act that Brady is uh, undertaking is is incredible. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I'm watching really closely from afar he's going to be rollerblading across canada in the summer of 2021 um i've already reached out to his uh his fundraising people to um to to figure out how we can participate our minor hockey group and and our minor sports groups can participate when he's coming by and i would encourage all of you to do the same reach out to brady he's he's uh, a super easygoing guy uh, really easy to get a hold of he's accommodating he wants to get the word out and He understands that he has this platform and he has some things that he wants to Make right with the world and it's it's just an incredible feeling to to sit back and watch a guy take that much accountability and harness the good that's out there and And pointed in the right direction and and at the second act podcast We just couldn't be happier to be a part of it. Uh, just so happy to to, to tell a story and to, and to be a part of it so that's that's this week's show. Um, again, it was uh, it was not an easy uh, listen. Sometimes there was there were some things going on there that were kind of tough. But Brady owns up to what he did, the things he was a part of, uh, and I, I feel like it was a really worthwhile hour. Hour and a little bit. Again, please like, rate, and subscribe to the show uh, wherever you're getting getting your podcasts from. Uh, you know, it's so important that you support uh, an independent podcast like this if you want to keep hearing it obviously we're not uh we're not getting rich off this we do it because we love it and we get to talk to people like brady but uh it's it's just so important that you like rate subscribe do all the things that you have to do remember there are no wrong answers and there's no test at the end so make the most of every day the second act podcast would like to thank ben sound for the intro and outro music happy rock that is www.bensound.com we'd also like to thank chin whiskers for the promotional consideration you can find them at your local tommy guns original barbershop Amazon, or ChinWhiskers.ca. And we would also like to thank you for listening.